What's going on, everyone? You are listening to the Crawford Talks. Somehow, it is September, Mike. I don't know how that happened. Uh, I do want to say, off the top, I'm I, good job by both the Rangers and the Astros playing a two-and-a-half-hour game last night to let the rest of us baseball people watch the fourth quarter of that Rockets game. That was that was nice of them, I thought. That that definitely was enjoyable, yes. And I feel the... Uh, I was wondering how those that was going to match up uh, last night because we're recording, obviously, on, on Thursday morning. I feel the same way as you do about September in this weird year with the pandemic. It feels even weird that weird that it's already. I, don't, I know it's not quite the fall, but the fact that I'm looking down at September is still crazy. Yeah, I wish the weather would would reflect uh, the fall. That would be nice instead of. I think we might have a cold front coming in about a week or so. That's oh, what I hear. Okay. My sources indicate that. OK, I hope your sources are correct. Um yeah, we're speaking on September 3rd. The trade deadline has come and gone. I think we were kind of uh, planning for this episode um, to, to decide what we were going to talk about. And I think the best way to approach it is, you know, kind of now now what? You know, after the trade deadline, the Astros and many other contenders didn't do anything. And this is the team they have. And so what can we learn about this team in the final three and a half weeks before the playoffs, because let's be honest, they will be in the playoffs. Uh, pretty much the playoffs are close. They're not set in the AL, but um, I'd be surprised if the Tigers overtook the Blue Jays for the A spot. And I think <laughs> yeah. other than that, it's just about seeding and who's playing who. So really it's about for these teams like the Astros, what state are they in when they get to the playoffs and for us talking about them, you know, what are we looking for in these last 24, 25 games? Well, I think we have a bunch of different things over these next three and a half weeks. And as you and I were brainstorming, one of the first things that stood out to me, Jake, is when we look at the offense, and this week is kind of a microcosm of it. Now, we've discussed the offense a lot, and it's been inconsistent. It hasn't been bad. If you look at the rankings, they're you know usually above average in most, if not all, categories. But it's been, it waxes and wanes a lot, depending on the opponents and depending on the day. And when I go up and down the lineup, the thing that has become crystal clear after a month, month plus of baseball is they need to get more from George Springer and Jose Altuve. And, and as you point out, Carlos Correa as well. And I think especially with, with the first two, Springer started off ice cold, then got hot, then got then got hurt, and now he's hitting 194. Altuve has been better, and he's hitting 218. But, I mean, he has been getting these random singles. You know, I think he had like, you know, five in a stretch, six in a stretch. But we're watching the games, Jake. Like, these are sort of like assorted, random, sort of, some of them are kind of fluky hits. These are not, these are not, this is not production that is really changing baseball games. No. And in the postseason, they need to get more from the top of the lineup with Springer and Altuve. I am not so much concerned about the middle. With Brantley, Yuli, Tucker, like they'll be they'll be okay with what they get in, in the middle of the lineup. But if the Astros are going to make a deep postseason run, that has to include George Springer, Jose Altuve, and even Carlos Correa, you know, getting some extra base hits once in a while. Yeah. I mean, Altuve has 11 more plate appearances than the next most Astro entering Thursday's series finale against the Rangers and um, has been 40% below average in OPS. He's basically been recently like a singles hitter. Um, 
the slug on both him and Springer are way down. I mean, especially Altuve is 2014 to 2019 average slugging percentage was 497. This year it's 317. Yep. Uh, Springer in the same span, those 2014 to 2019 seasons slugged 488 this year. He's 388. Um, you know, you got to wonder with Springer how much the wrist is a factor, but at the same time, there, yep. it's not, you know, it is what it is at this point. Um, and Correa, I think, has quietly um, dropped down to close to MLB average in OPS. And, you know, just looking at fan graphs this morning, he's hitting a lot of a lot of balls on the ground. He's on pace for his worst ground ball to fly ball rate of his career. Um, so those three, I mean, they're three of their, their quote-unquote core four. You know, I don't think anyone really worries about Bregman when he comes back. But, um, yeah, they definitely need at least two of those three to, to start hitting um, – you know, before October. Yeah, I think I think that's the big thing. Why do you think, you know, it's not like Correa's been bad at the plate. I mean, he started off pretty hot, and uh, it's not like his quality of bats is bad. What do you, his defense has been, with maybe one minor blip the other night, has been just sensational this season. How do we explain that? How, how do we explain the offensive? Uh, yeah, how do we explain the offense? I don't know. I, it could just be... A small sample in a season where small samples are all we have. Um, I'm not really sure because he's stayed on the field. He's been healthy. Yep. Um, he still hits the ball hard. It's just, like I said, on the ground a lot more frequently than, than before. Um, yeah, I'm not really sure how to. It's hard to, to decide or to figure out what's just, you know, small sample noise and what's like an actual trend anymore uh, in this 60-game season. But, um yeah, his, yeah. I mean, he did start it, off really hot, so it could just be the ebbs and flows of a year. Yeah, it it is hard with with the small sample size. I, I was thinking to myself the last couple of days, if this was a normal season, and right now it's September third, but if you transpose it, like typically we'd be doing this, Jake, and this would be May third, right? And we'd be kind of like it would just be it would be early, right? I mean, yeah. it would be very early in the season, and so we'd be having discussions like, "Oh, that was a that was a tough month for Springer and Altuve, and let's see what happens over the next you know four to five months." And instead, it's all right. You got three weeks to get in gear. Are these guys still the same players? Right. Uh, and then we're making sweeping conclusions on guys like Framber Valdez and Christian Javier. So, you know, I'm sure that this is something the front offices have to contend with as well because, you know, they're very analytically driven almost across all of baseball. But it is hard emotionally not to be swayed because you feel watching like, hey, this is the season, right. if that makes sense. Yeah, it's weird. I mean, in a normal season, I kind of treat April as like an extension of spring training in my coverage yeah. and focus more on uh, less on the stats and more on like the bigger pictures and stuff and the features. And then I think you really need like six weeks of the season to really dive into the meaningful stats in a normal year. And I kind of, that's how I look at it at least. And like yep. this year, that's like all we have. It's just very strange that so you have to look at the stats sooner and earlier and you know, what do they mean? What do they not mean? I, a lot of it is is impossible to know, but you're right. I mean, it's going to be really, and this is a tangent for another day, but like if you're a front office, how do you look at this season in comparison to other seasons when you're deciding oh, yeah. roster construction in the off season? I, I don't know if you, you kind of, you obviously have to 
value this season differently, but to what extent, I'm not sure. Yeah. I mean, I, I do think our ultimate conclusion on this conversation is one that's going to take hold because, it, you know, the Astros, uh, their, their pitching has been good. Uh, the starting staff, minus Belak the last couple of times, has been very good. In the postseason, if they're going to make some kind of run, they're going to need to get production out of Springer, Altuve, and Correa. I mean, there's just no question about it. So the baseball playoffs are, by definition, a small sample size. And from a lineup standpoint, they will need production from those guys. They will need to improve and get some big hits for this team to do damage in the postseason. Yeah, definitely. And I think on the pitching side, you know, it's kind of what you see, what you is what you have for the most part with the uncertainty about Justin Verlander being the big caveat uh, or the exception. And, you know, we still don't really know um, how realistic it is, if he's going to return or not. Um, you know, I think the best way to look at it for the Astros is with Verlander at this point is like anything you get is a bonus. Um, because they're like, if you boil it down, there's less than four weeks to the playoffs. All we've really heard is that he's throwing, uh, the Astros have been really vague about everything. Um, which is, I didn't think injury updates would get more vague than they were in, in the Jeff Luno, <laughs> AJ Hinch era, but, he, but here we are. Um, so I, honestly, like I really don't have a great sense as to where Verlander is in his rehab and, and, um, you know, you would presume the Astros do, but but they haven't really shared much with us. Um, so, yeah, I think you kind of have to look at it. Like I said, is like anything you get in September or October is probably a bonus. So he has not thrown off a mound yet, correct, Jake? I, that's what James Click said. He was under the impression that he hadn't. Yeah. But but Dusty Baker keeps saying that he he's thrown 20 to 25 pitches. So is that pitches off flat ground? It's... You know, it's we haven't heard from Verlander since since opening day, and that's um, how, how often are these guys talking to each other? Like, I don't know Verlander. That that's the weird well, the, part. Like, they're not Verl- rehab. Like, so the, a lot of the injured guys aren't rehabbing at Minute Maid because of the, yes. the virus and the protocols, and it's just easier to be rehabbing somewhere else. And so I think with Verlander and and I believe Osuna, that's that's the thing. Um, but yeah, it is. It's just weird. Like I, I don't really have a good feel for it, and um, I, I, th- I think the Astros are being intentionally vague as to not, you okay. know, set expectations. But um, at a certain point, it's September third, and and the season ends September what twenty seventh. So they're going to have to be a little bit more definitive in the near future, I would think. Mike, let's take a quick break here for a word from our sponsors. Today's show is sponsored by Manscaped, which has you covered to keep the hair looking nice and trimmed and feeling fully supported. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. The Premium Lawnmower 3.0 is waterproof, includes an LED light, and is made with advanced skin-safe technology, which reduces nicks and cuts. You can get this trimmer inside their Perfect Package 3.0, which also includes the Manscaped Crop Preserver Deodorant and the Crop Reviver Toning Spray. Plus, for a limited time, when you order the perfect package kit, you get two free gifts, the Shed Travel Bag and the Manscaped Anti-Chafing Boxer Briefs. The Manscaped Anti-Chafing Cooling Boxer Briefs might be one of the best parts of the collection. They have optimal temperature control with their crop tooling technology while keeping your pride and joy supported. Pair these boxer briefs with their pH balancing liquid products like the Crop Preserver and you're ready for anything. You need to try this out for yourself. 
Get 20% off and free shipping with the code THEATHLETIC20 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code THEATHLETIC20. From the moose to the caboose, always use the right tools for the job. And now, back to the show. What I'm wondering is when you say, Jake, that whatever they get from Verlander is a bonus, I agree with that concept completely. My question is a bonus in what sense? Like, are we looking at a Lance McCullers 2018 situation where the hope is if Verlander gets back, he can pitch an inning or two out of the bullpen? Or is the hope still that he can come back and start in the postseason? What what, what am I looking at here? I don't know, because it depends on what he exactly is doing right now. Like, where is he? Is he actually throwing off a mound in 2025 yeah. pitches, or is it just playing catch for 2025 pitches? Um, and it's kind of ridiculous that we don't have the, that answer, right? Um, <laughs> you know, I, I would think at this point, if he comes back, it's shorter stints but or shorter spurts, but um, whether, you know... Is that an opener type situation? Is that a closer yeah. type situation? I have no idea. I th- like I, mean, I w- said, I think it's there's so much uncertainty because of how vague the team's been and the fact that we haven't heard from Verlander. I mean, one would think that if Verlander was ready to come back, but it's only in a role where he can pitch, let's say between, I'll just say between one and three innings to use like a random, a kind of random amount, I would think it would make more sense to use him out of the bullpen and not to like start games as an opener because I'm imagining that guys like Zach Granke and Lance McCullers would not be thrilled by the idea of having Verlander pitch one time through the order and then come into the game. Well, you would uh, open. For, you would open for Javier or um, yeah yeah that makes sense yeah but I'm just saying that like the, the, the first series the best of three right you could open uh, for Valdez I guess I mean Valdez had yeah. to pitch out of the bullpen a little bit yeah they, they could do that yes they, they could do that but again I think we're getting ahead of ourselves and like I really don't like time's running out like at some point they'll ha- they're gonna have to make a decision or, or tell us more about what's going on with Verlander because I like I said I really don't have a good sense for where he where he is or how realistic it is uh, at this point. Right, give me give me a week. It, uh, so I'm looking at the week of the, the 7th, the 14th, the 21st. When do you think this NSA level security from the Astros needs to come crumbling down about Verlander? And they they actually have to give you guys some real information. I mean, I'm, I don't know if they will. <laughs> like, I, I don't know. Um, you know, I would have thought a month ago, right? Like, he's their best pitcher. Um but I, I really don't know. I, I think it's so it's September 3rd right now as we speak. Um, I would guess the middle of the month, right? I would think so, too, just because whether he's throwing 25 pitches off a mound or just playing cash and throwing 25 pitches at some point that you're going to need to know within like I would say that that in two weeks from now, from the 14th to the 18th, they need to give you kind of a sense media fans, whoever, of like, okay, what trajectory is he on? Do you expect him to make the postseason roster? Yeah, I agree with that. But you would think. Who, who knows if they think. will? Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's been weird, honestly. Like, I really don't have any other way to describe it. Um, you know, also in the rotation front, I think we will get a more imminent news on Jose Arquiti, who... Sounds like he's in Houston. I, I I know that. It sounds like he could be starting uh, as soon as Saturday in one of the doubleheader games against the Angels. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I think it's still a big open question as to what exactly he provides. You know, his last start in in Game Four of the World Series, and at, which was dominant, and combined with his long absence to begin this season has, in my opinion, led to an outsized expectation of what like the most likely outcome for his contribution is this year. Like he's still only a rookie who hasn't pitched much above uh, in the majors and uh, you know, coming off a long layoff isn't usually easy. So I think it's still a big question as to what exactly Urquidy provides this team this season. I'm looking back at Urquidy's 2019 season and just remembering what it was like because it feels like that was like in a, in a different century, basically. Um, and he had he only really had like two really rough performances, I'd say, uh, against the Angels and against uh, the Indians on the road. Otherwise, he was generally pretty steady when they brought him up as a rookie. Granted, you know, his role was kind of changing a little bit here and there. Something that stands out about him is that he... His strikeout to walk ratio is good. Uh, out to walk ratio is good. Um, so he's not wild. He's not all over the place. I entirely agree with your concept uh, that it, because of what he was able to do in Game Four of the World Series, plus the absence, uh, plus the desperate need to have you know some viable fifth starter on this Astros team, there's going to be which sort is not of actually weird, a desperate need if we're being honest. Pro- probably not a desperate need. There's kind of like a martyr effect with Arkady, if that makes any sense. Uh, so I, I think he was definitely very promising coming off of uh, coming off of last season, but I'm not sure what I expect when we start to see him. But certainly over the next three and a half weeks, we will know and find out what kind of role can they put Jose Urquidy in in the postseason. That we will find out. I think he's a, he's a, he's a promising young pitcher with a bright future ahead of him. Yeah. And at the same time, I'd be surprised if he's better than Christian Javier by the time the postseason rolls around. Does he need to be? Well, if he wants to get a start, he probably needs yeah. to be. Um, but like, I think the, like, the likeliest outcome is he's somewhere under Christian Javier, right? Because oh, I think so. Because of how how steady Javier has been. Um, well, Javier, after the Wednesday game, his ERA is uh, is three three five. He's been, I mean, he's been good. He's had a really promising rookie season. So I, I think, in a weird way, it's almost like a it's almost like an a, like a high standard for Urquidy to overcome yeah. in just the next few weeks. It is, but I just I just think I don't know if it's because of all the things we talked about or. His prospect status elevating in the offseason and fans being obsessed with the prospect thing. But, like, I don't know. Everyone keeps asking for Akiti updates as if it's the day Verlander is coming back, right? Like, yeah. Let's, let's pump the brakes a little bit. He's still a rookie who's pitched, what, 50 innings above AAA? Um, so I still think there's a lot of uncertainty as to what he's going to be. At some point in your writing career, Jake, I would like I would like you to write a book, something like Jake Kaplan on hope, or Jake, Jake Kaplan, Kaplan on hates everything. <laughs> Jake Kaplan on sports fans and what they think of young prospects, <laughs> I, <laughs> and the psychology of it. I mean, try being a Sixers fan watching the Miami Heat right now, Jimmy Butler. It's oh, that's it doesn't put point. you in a great mindset. Um, yeah, that, that's a great point. You, you've dealt with like the the high, the severe ups and downs of people hoping for the future and what that future actually turns out to be. Yeah. So, um, 
But yeah, no, it's it's definitely a positive development that Arkady is going to be back, assuming yes. assuming his bullpen session this week goes well and and he does get cleared for Saturday. Um, you know, the other Saturday game will be interesting too. Do they start Brandon Belak again? Do they try Luis Garcia? Do they do a bullpen game of Cy Snead or someone like that? I don't know. It probably depends on how these next couple games go before then. But that kind of leads into the next next point with the bullpen, which yep um, was kind of under the the microscope after the trade deadline passed and they didn't add any to the bullpen. What, what, like, I guess the way to look at it is what, um, what can we learn about the bullpen in the next few weeks? And, you know, it seems like the roles are kind of clear, like Presley's their go-to closer and, and Paredes and Taylor are their primary setup men. Um, but like what, what else can happen in the next few weeks in the bullpen? Great question. I think a lot can happen. I, I think they need to get into the postseason, uh, ideally having hmm, five guys who they know what they can expect, or at least what role they can expect them to be performing in, if that makes sense. So I obviously agree with everything that you said. It's clearly a, a bullpen of three core guys, which is Presley, your closer, who's been very up and down, but at least his stuff has been much better recently. Taylor, Paredes, both had, have had really promising rookie seasons. Uh, I would say in the next tier, we would have Andre Scrub and Brooks Raley. And then past that, it's like, you know, it's basically like a, a sorting hat of like, I have no idea what exactly to expect. We haven't seen CNL Perez in a while. Um that just somehow just came in a to while. me. <laughs> yeah, we haven't seen a lot of people. I, I only mentioned that because I thought Perez looked pretty good in his last time out. Yeah, um, his, stuff, <laughs> his stuff is good. I, I think they should probably give him a little bit more of a look. Yeah, I would like to see more about more with him. But but essentially, I, I think you've got the core three, and they need to figure out who else they can trust. I think Scrub isn't promising, but as you have pointed out a lot, you know he's got to get the walks under control, especially in hypothetical postseason situations. Uh, unlike the bullpens of the last like four to five years, they've actually got lefty options, uh, which yeah. is nice for the Astros. That's been a sort of a, a, a pleasant development. Um, but I think a lot of this also depends on our earlier conversations, taking both Verlander and Urquidy into account. I, I keep thinking about like, I don't even want to think past like the a first round series because a best of three is so random that like, I, I can't even like think of like a best of five or a best of seven, but depending on what Urquidy gives you and depending on where Verlander is well the bullpen could be a lot different if you told me hey these guys the the, the guys in the bullpen are pitching at about the same level that, that they have been through the first five six weeks of the season then they've got Urquidy then they've got Verlander if they want him well all of a sudden you know that bullpen I, I'd be more confident in that kind of bullpen yeah and you would have Javier too right because best of uh, yes three, excellent points yes um, and Urquidy uh, and I think that was a lot of the We'll get to the trade deadline in action in a bit, but I think that that definitely went into the calculus is like best of three is what you're planning for at this point. You got Grinky, Valdez, McCullers as your top three, and then you can use Javier, Belak, or Kidi as candidates for the bullpen um, to kind of strengthen the depth where you, you know, right now you have like Biagini and, and those guys. Um, and who knows, maybe Brad Peacock will, will be good too. I mean, like, I think he should be back soon, and that'll be another thing we can learn about in the next few yep. weeks is, is what state is he in? Is he is he effective? Um, because maybe. If he is. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe he, Chris 
Chris Davinsky or Josh James. Yeah, Josh James is point. another one. I mean, like with his with Josh James's stuff, like he's probably in the postseason bullpen. Yeah, it, it's weird. It's it's like James has been sight unseen and, and and forgotten after the awful start of the season, plus the hip injury. Do we know where is he on the on the rehab right now? You know, I don't know. I think he's in Corpus Christi, but I don't know if he's. I don't think he's throwing in games. Um, okay. He might be throwing. I. That's honestly like we've kind of forgotten about him. <laughs> like you said. We have, yeah. And I don't know if he's been asked about a ton. Um, you know, I, I think uh, that's a good question, though. <laughs> um, I, I would have to think he'll be back before the playoffs, but it's just a matter of when. Uh, and then will he be good? But, yeah, I think filling out the bullpen, right? That's kind of yep. what we can learn about in these next few weeks and who's going to take those spots cuz like it's 28 man rosters, right? So they could have a pretty large bullpen in the playoffs too. Yes, yeah. We'll get right back to the show after this quick break. Well, let, let's transition that into I think the the other big thing to talk about, which is why did the Astros not make a single move at the trade deadline? Because my suspicion is, especially having this conversation over the last 20, 25 minutes, is the bullpen, I think, was the likeliest area for them to add somebody. And the more that we talk about it, especially in the context of a best of three between Verlander or Christian Javier, uh, Josh James, Brad Peacock, eh, maybe Chris Davinsky, maybe they have a lot of options to internally improve their bullpen, depending on how things shake out. Let's listen to James Click, uh, who met with the media after doing nothing at the trade deadline and explaining how that went. It's obviously always hard to say if you're close on a deal or not. There were definitely some guys that we had some traction on. We had a lot of conversations with a variety of teams around the league on a variety of different areas of the roster, uh, pitching, hitting, etc. Ultimately, at the end of the day, weren't able to line up on anything, but I think that speaks to the, the bar of entry, uh, the level of talent that we have on the team right now. We weren't going to make a move just to make a move. We were going to make a move if we thought it helped us put ourselves in a better position to win a World Series. And at the end of the day, just couldn't line up on something that we thought was reasonable, both for the current team and the betterment of the franchise overall. Do you, do you think he missed any of the, the GM speak go-to lines? Doesn't sound like it. <laughs> I, think he, I think he attended he those co- seminars. He, yeah, he checked all the boxes took notes. there. He's, he's got his GM talk down pat, which is impressive for a first-year GM. Um, yeah, what did you think of the trade deadline? I, If you had asked me, I was really 50-50 on whether they would make a move. And part of my thinking was, I don't even know what the Astros have to give up at this point. Um, I'm looking at between the player pool and the prospects. You know, we talked about before, you can do the player to be named later and then, you know, and trade somebody who's not in the prospect pool. They obviously could have done that. But it, it just feels like this organization the last six weeks, Jake, where if you are a live baseball player with any ability, then they're going to try to get it out of you. Uh, that's the way that this season has gone. And so obviously they could have traded one of those guys for a veteran or somebody. But it just felt like they they didn't have a lot to give up as far as people who were not with the big league club who have a ton of promise in the future. Because I don't know what the thought is right now on Forrest Whitley. I disagree um, because you don't have to be a top 100 prospect to have trade value. Um, they have plenty of prospects. It's just like the reason they're not higher in the prospect rankings is because they don't have any top 100 prospects outside of Forrest Whitley. And he's got a lot of detractors 
at this point. Yep. Um, and that's kind of how that's judged is like, how, what's the upside? How many guys with star potential do you have? They don't have that, but they have a lot of valuable players they could have traded. Um, well, you, can you uh, can you give me some names as far as like if you're James Click, what kind of pool of players were you thinking about trading from on Monday? Well, I mean, I don't know. I, I, I could see why they wouldn't want to trade some of these guys. Um, but they like I can give you some of their like better prospects um, who aren't Forrest Whitley or aren't in the major league player pool would be Freudis Nova. Um, who is a, sh- a talented infielder um, okay. who's, who's very young, even still. Um, but he has a lot of upside, so you, you probably don't want to trade him. They have Jeremy Pena, a shortstop who's closer to the majors, but they might need him to replace Carlos Correa. Um, Hunter Brown is a really good starting pitching prospect. You know, yep. uh, the guy they called up the other day, Luis Garcia, is a good pitching prospect. There's a lot of like guys down there that like you could that aren't top 100 guys, but are kind of like in the Christian Javier a year ago vein, like could be good in the in the near future. Um, Like if you look at some of the trades that were made, like there was only one top 100 prospect that moved in all of these trades. And it was trailer Taylor Trammell, who went from the Padres to the Mariners. And it's already his third organization. Mm-hmm. A lot of questions about his upside um, or his his likeliest outcome as a player, too. So, like, we're not talking about, like, trading top 100 prospects. We're, we're talking about kind of trading your, your next tier down. And, you know, I think they could have done something if they wanted to. I think they could have done something if they if they want to. So you make some good points that there are some prospects that may not be front of mind, front of, you know, in the center of your brain that they could have utilized to improve, let's say, the bullpen. Um, one thing I wonder, Jake, is what kind of team does James Click think he has right now? Because I think this Astros team is it's it's above average clearly, and things should get better if things you know hit equilibrium, as in. Bregman comes back and he was having a very good season, particularly when he got hurt two weeks ago. So that's a big boost to them. Um, Altuve and Springer, if if James and, and Correa to an extent too, if Click is thinking on a longer horizon, you know, the more games that you play, the more that those guys are going to hit like they are. But it doesn't feel to, like... I think this team is not as good as the A's. I don't think they are as good as the Rays and the Yankees. Uh, the Indians, White Sox, Twins, honestly, I, I don't have a clue. I think those teams are good, but I don't know if I fully trust them, obviously, in the postseason if all those teams make it. Uh, it, it feels like the Astros are sort of a... They're, they're a contender to win the American League, but they're not one of the top two or three teams I'd pick. And even in a small sample size, I wonder if that at all plays into James Click's thinking at the deadline. I'm guessing as I'm saying this that you are not liking what I'm saying right now. No, I get what you're saying. I mean, I guess my counter would be like, is James Click even going to really be judged off 2020? I don't think so. Right. I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know if James Click is a good GM, which is not a negative comment. I just I have no I have no idea how to evaluate him yet as a general as a general manager, and particularly in context of a of a deadline like Monday where he didn't make a move. So it's hard to evaluate somebody when you don't know what the trade possibilities he was even talking about. That's what I need to be grading him on right now. Right. Yeah. It would. We don't really have much to grade him on. Um. But like, I feel like all these. GMs now are hired to build sustainable 
teams where your your major league team is competitive and your farm system is solid and um so they're so they're hired to be hoarders <laughs> i mean <laughs> the last five years it's kind of felt like um how can you be build the best overall organization more how than how can you maximize yeah. your major league team um and i guess i mean i guess that makes sense from a business standpoint but uh, it's not exactly great for the trade deadline uh, and the fan excitement of the trade deadline and the media attention that we, we give to the trade deadline. But yeah, I, I think ultimately for me, and I wrote about this in the mailbag that came out Thursday morning. Um, I mean, we, we talked about this before the trade line. We didn't expect a big trade deadline, but also I think the fact that the playoffs are expanded this year really uh, I don't want to say destroyed the trade deadline because there were some moves in the National League, especially. Yeah, but, there were moves. But, you know, you look at it, it's no coincidence that the Dodgers, the Rays, the Yankees, the Astros, the Indi- Indians traded, sold, or I guess they kind of added to. Um, the White Sox, the Twins didn't add. Um, you know, the Braves didn't add. The Cubs added a little. It's it's because their their World Series odds aren't going to change much off one of these moves. Mm-hmm. Uh, everyone, all these teams have like somewhere between a five and seven percent chance on fan graphs. The Dodgers have a seventeen percent chance. Um, yeah, but in the well, AL, I, especially, like you're not going to really move the needle, even if you get like a Trevor Rosenthal or an Archie Bradley. And I think I, you know, it's, I'm not like condoning all the inaction, but that's that's really why is the, is the percentages, you know support uh this disciplined approach that all these modern data-driven front offices took i mean this might sound like it is hypocritical in light of what i just said a few minutes ago but something that we've pointed out jake is it's not easy unless we're talking about the bullpen for james click to really improve this roster which is which might be which might sound like a strange thing to say when i'm also saying in the same vein hey i think the a's are better i think the rays are better i think the yankees are better especially when they get back torres and judge and stanton and james paxton and those guys but when i look at the astros it's like how do you improve the lineup well you could have added let's say kevin pilar or somebody like that at a bat like that would be nice uh but if i'm looking position by position you know they're not upgrading on george springer or or Jose Altuve or Carlos Correa. Like they are not upgrading off those guys. Those guys have to perform better. Uh, from a starting pitching standpoint, like it would have been hard for me unless it was Mike Clevenger uh, or Trevor Bauer or somebody like that. They were not going to add anybody who was going to be a threat or I should say a contender to start, you know, one of the first three games of a best of three. Uh, like it's just not that easy with this kind of team, when you look at the lineup and the starting pitching staff right now to add guys who are actually going to be able to contribute a lot for this team. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think that's why you saw a decent amount of controllable players moved, right? And that's yep. where the argument is that the Astros should have um, gone after a controllable reliever like Archie Bradley or Miguel Castro from the Orioles who went to the Mets, someone like that would have made a lot of sense because then it also, you know, eliminates one of your offseason checklist moves because um, they're going to need to address the bullpen in the offseason, you would think. Oh, yeah. Um, so that's the that's the argument. I had it pointed out to me, like, look at the Reds, what the Reds gave up for Archie Bradley, who's a free agent after 2021. Like, I think the Astros probably could have matched or beaten that without, yep. you know, losing a ton of sleep. Um, but... You know, 
is that would is that going to be the difference in them making a deep run or not? We don't know. We'll never know. Um, yes. But you still have to look at it as like if their bullpen falters in October, we're going to think back to the the trade deadline, and it 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 kind of reminds me of 2016 and 2017 Jeff Luno, just like not only the Astros but the disciplined approach that all these teams took, um, where you're just yes. you're kind of just standing pat. Yeah, I think sometimes it takes time to kind of get your bearings as a GM with what's going to happen in the trade deadline. And I think Luno showed in 2018 and, and 2019 that he had kind of gotten to that stage. Um, I wonder if he, had, if he would have played 2015 differently. <laughs> he, he wouldn't have traded for Mike Fires, I'll tell you that, uh, in hindsight. But, you know, the, the, the Astros were a surprise contender in 2015. So I think there was, you know, a bunch of all of a sudden pressure a little bit out of nowhere to, like, trade for Scott Casimir, uh, trade for Carlos Gomez and Mike Fires. And especially in light of some of the guys giving up, I wonder if he would have done that uh, over again. And with Click, maybe discretion is the better part of valor in a situation like this. Well, I don't I don't really think it has much to do with like getting your feet under you as a GM. I think it's more just like what your what the numbers support you doing. And especially in a year where there's expanded playoffs, like the World Series champion is going to be decided by a lot more luck than skill relative to a usual World Series champion, right? And you might yep. just be giving up prospects um you know, it, it will you i think uh, you could say recklessly um you could argue if that's the case but i also think like it's not great for the sport when all the teams are doing the same thing and mm-hmm. holding on to all their prospects because of the math and um like i think i really think like <laughs> if the mlb keeps the playoffs expanded it's going to kill the trade deadline that's an that's an interesting point. It's definitely a bigger conversation. I, I I'm very split on it. it. Like I don't know what the right solution for baseball is long term because a 60 game season, uh, you have more teams make it. I'm fine with that, especially because it's just such a small sample size. Big picture, I'm really split because if we had had this playoff format last year, the Astros would have been playing the Rangers in, the, in a best of three in the first round, which sounds just preposterous because you could lose that series. And then and then it like really, I, I think, undermines the credibility of your postseason. I think it's honestly at that level. Um, at the same time, I think baseball has too many teams that are intentionally trying to lose. And so I do think they need more markets that are in it longer. And I honestly, Jake, don't know what a great solution is for them to have the balance between the long season, which baseball, which I think one of my friends who works in baseball, he, I like this analogy. He's like, listen, like there's something that's really cool about like reading a long book. That's different than reading like a a short novel. And that's how I feel about the baseball season. It's just, it's different than let's say the football season. Um, at the same time though, you know, with all these analytically driven organizations and the power and the incentive to tank, like I think it's tough for them to kind of balance how long the season is, how many teams are in it, expanding the postseason, plus the money part of expanding the postseason as well. Yeah, I think we need a draft lottery. <laughs> I mean, like also, the hmm. I do want to point out the tanking issue has, I feel like there are slightly fewer tanking teams than there were. Um, 
Like, I don't think the Red Sox, for example, are tanking. I just think Chris Sale got hurt and they they were bad. <laughs> yeah, I think they're I, th- I think they're just doing like a like a massive reload. Yeah, like kind as, of a as, reset. As the distinction. Like a, yeah, a reset. Yes, agree. Um, I agree. Like the Angels were trying to be good. The Ranger, yes. Rangers were trying to be good. Um, I, I think some of the rebuilding teams like the White Sox have obviously turned a corner. Um, you know, in the NL, the Phillies are competitive. So I, the Reds, so I, I, even the Giants, I think would be in the playoffs right now. So like, I think there's le- I think the tanking issue is less of an issue this year than it was in the past. I think for the okay, the trade deadline is is just um, this is this like I said, this is what the analytics suggest is that you're you're not that you should keep your prospects and you're you're not going to dramatically improve your chances. Um, you know, especially in a sixteen team field by you know mortgaging your future and you know it's i like i said i don't think it's great for the sport i think the trade deadline is one of the marquee events of the year this year you could say would have been different no matter what but in a normal year um it's fun it's fun to see all the wheeling and dealing one more very quick point famously three years ago dallas keiko said disappointment is an understatement when the astros initially uh made only one minor move to add francisco liriano the trade deadline do you get the sense at all, Jake, uh, about how not making a move affected the clubhouse this season? Can I just point out real quick that if you what do you th- what do you think about that move in retrospect? Because Teoscar Hernandez right now is a monster, and they need oh yeah, I, I, they need I've actually thought <laughs> I've actually thought about bringing that up to you. I was looking at his stats like a week ago. I'm like, geez, they they could use they could use somebody like this, and I, I think Reddick's been okay, but you'd obviously much rather have a younger guy in one of the corner outfield spots. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, he's got a 158 OPS plus. He would have the best OPS on the Astros by far, and he's not a free agent till like 2024, 2025. Just saying. Yeah. I mean, Francisco well, Liriano did get two outs in Game Seven of the World Series, or is it one out or two out? I don't know. He got a, he got some outs, and uh, he got some outs, and they needed all twenty seven outs, obviously. Right. Uh, well, maybe in hindsight, Jeff Luna was too aggressive at the twenty seventeen trade deadline. Who knew? Well, that's the thing is like that's that's why all these teams are just hoarding prospects now. But anyway, to yep. your point about the clubhouse now, I really don't know. I don't have a good sense for it. I, I think. I have to think that on all these contenders, the players um, understand how different of a year this is and, and probably tempered their expectations some for the trade deadline this year. But at the same time, if you're on the Padres, you're probably super excited right now that you got Mike Clevenger and and Trevor Rosenthal and, and you've revamped your catching. Um, so I think it could have a, a positive effect on them. I, I don't know how much of a negative effect it's going to have on all, the, all these other teams because of um, – you know, I have to assume their expectations were a little different in 2020. That makes sense. So uh, looking ahead real quick. So the Astros are going to begin a road trip on Friday. It's going to be a bit of a long road trip with a lot of intrigue between the Angels, A's, and especially the Dodgers uh, for two games. Both will be nationally televised, not this weekend, but the following weekend. So next Monday, when we talk to you guys, it'll be discussing what is going to be the biggest uh, series of the season, most likely, because there are going to be five games that are going to be in Oakland. One of them is a home game. I think the first game of the doubleheader on Tuesday, but that is a series that could go a long way to deciding the American League West, which has been won by the Astros in each of the last three seasons, but obviously uh, is up for grabs right now. 
That'll do it for the latest episode of the Crawford Talks. He is Jay Kaplan. Make sure you check out all of his work on The Athletic. I'm Mike Meltzer. This is the Crawford Talks. Crawford Talks.